This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson welcoming you to another edition of Let's Run.com's Track Talk. What a show we have in store for you. NCAAs start tomorrow in Austin, Texas. Uh, we have the Rome. We'll talk about the upcoming Rome Diamond League where Jenny Simpson will be making her Diamond League debut this year. We're going to talk about what we didn't want to talk about, Caster Semenya being back in the Diamond League. Dwayne Solomon's comeback has begun. White Lightning. His nickname may be a thing of the past. But he's getting big time press and much, much more. Folks, if you want to join the program, call 844 Let's Run. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, we can be reached via phone. And I am joined, as always, by my twin brother and co founder, Weldon Johnson, as well as our boots on the ground, our ace staff writer, Jonathan Galt, in Austin, Texas, where I will be joining him tomorrow. I'm very upset, folks. They've pushed back the meet by two hours. I'll be missing most of the action tomorrow because of my flight. But, John. Let's start with you. Welcome to the show. One thing we haven't talked about, well, the show's just beginning, so we haven't talked about much, but one thing I didn't mention in the opening was there's a rumor that you've just come back from the Flow Track headquarters on the day that they've got announced they've gotten $48 million more in funding, folks. Who knew that charging parents to watch their kids run could be that lucrative? John, is it true that you've been to Flow Track headquarters? And can you confirm or deny they've made you an offer and you will be leaving LetsRun.com? Uh, well, like NBA, uh, sports journalism, free agency doesn't start till July 1st and there's a moratorium. So, uh, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about the specifics of that visit, which may or may not have happened, but yes, I am in Austin, Texas for the 2019 NCAA meet. Really excited to be here. It's been pretty muggy, humid. It was actually pouring rain earlier today and that's why they've pushed the meet forward by two hours for all the running events except for the 10K final on Wednesday night, which is the first day of NCAAs, because there are thunderstorms that are supposed to be coming in, I think, and they're worried that's going to mess things up. But running the 10K in the middle of the day, not a great idea, so probably good to keep that push back. But yeah, I'm in Texas, and the funny thing, Robert, you don't know about this, Weldon does. I, so I, I land in the airport. First thing I do, I step off the plane from Boston and I just am immediately engulfed in humidity. It's so much more humid than it is in Boston. It's been pretty mild spring thus far. So anyway, it's humid. And I decide, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I've got a few hours to kill before the press conference. So I decide, let's go get some barbecue. So I head to this food truck, Micklethwaite's Barbecue. Really good, delicious. And I sit down. And it's just outdoor seating on like park benches. And what do I see directly in front of me? There's just a guy sitting down and tucked into his jeans is a handgun. And I'm just like, this is the most Texas thing. Like if you had a stereotype of Texas. Open carry? Apparently it's open. I don't really know all the laws in all these states. I don't have a gun. I try to stay away from guns. Uh, We don't need to get into the gun rights debate. But I just thought it was the most Texas thing ever that I get there. And the first thing I do is have barbecue and see some guy with a handgun in his back pocket. Welcome to Texas, John. Have you ever been to Texas before? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been to Texas. Actually, I went there last year with you, Weldon. We were at the NCAA Indoor Champs in NCAA, at uh, Texas A&M. And also, more importantly, Super Bowl 51, Houston, Texas. I was there. The greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. New England Patriots 34, Atlanta Falcons 28 in overtime. 
A couple of things. Being from a UT and Dallas family, going to Houston and going to A&M, that didn't really count as being in Texas. That's a joke. But gun control next. one 844 run We'll have your hot topics on open carry in Texas. John, did you feel safe? I mean, honestly, I felt less safe with seeing just a gun out there in front of me. This isn't something we really need to get into, but my natural, my first instinct, seeing a gun, it made me uncomfortable because I'm just not used to that in Boston. I, I, I saw your thing on Twitter and I was shocked because I haven't seen people open carry. I don't, I'm sure I have. I think the first time I actually saw it was in Arizona, but I've never seen it. It's sort of interesting. Open carry, I think, is new in Texas. And, but I remember in high school, they passed concealed carry. And contrary to popular belief, like concealed carry hasn't been that long in Texas. I mean, this is 20 years ago. But I remember thinking, like, I'm going to get blasted on a run. But it's, I think, one, like, we're not going to get into gun control, but I think it shows how sort of the knee-jerk reactions people have are wrong. Because, yeah, I can go to Boston, right, and you can't open carry a gun, but some, like, guy right there could be concealing a gun and be up to – you know, convicted felon could have a gun and you're not going to know it. So if some guy's passed the test and has it, yeah, first instinct maybe is probably to be a little bit alarmed, especially when you haven't seen it. Like I've never seen it. And I knew they passed open carry a couple years ago, but hey, I'm glad you didn't get blasted, John. I survived day one. Well, it's 826 on day one. So hopefully I'll survive. And so the track offered you 46 million to jump ship or? Like I said, free agency starts July 1st. I can't really comment on that, but they did just get a, another round of venture capital funding, so they seem to be well off at the moment. Well, you know, that means they're losing money, John, losing money. But they're trying to get into soccer. Well, if you're paying $8 million a pop for DC United, it doesn't last that long. So, anyways, John, is it true that they had a coach's social and no coaches showed up? Yes, that's true. This is too amazing. This is too amazing. First of all, shout out to Flow Track for inviting John to the coaches' social, even though no coaches showed up. But I appreciate it. They gave me they gave me a free beer, free cider. I had good conversation. I I had a good time at Flow Track HQ. I won't deny that. I know it was very nice. What kind of beer do they have, John? I mean, like we don't have HQ and beers and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, you guys never – I will give you credit for this. You never shy away from buying me beer when we go to meets together. So usually I get free beer when I when I cover a meet with you guys. I had a, a Fire Eagle, Austin Beer Works. It was an IPA, 7%. It was actually pretty heavy. But uh, I, it's been a little while since then, so I shouldn't be too crazy for this podcast. But no, it was pretty solid. And then they had like a Blood Orange Cider, which that one was a little – wasn't. that was kind of sugary. It was, you know – um, it wasn't anything special, but no, it was nice. You know, gave me Gordon Mack gave me the tour of the flow track headquarters and, you know, walked around, sort of see where all the magic happens. So, yeah. And John, you're in Austin. It's where my parents leave, live. Hopefully you'll meet them this weekend. Contrary to popular opinion, there's no trust fund I know about. So any VCs out there, $10 million wired into the bank account by Monday. We're out of here. Just shut it down. <laughs> John, I'll give you two right away. What? <laughs> okay. Okay. You're gonna give him two? You guys heard it. This is on the record. That's a binding contract. It's gotta be by Monday. Two for John. No. He gets fifth half of what I get. Oh yeah, Steve's probably gonna want some and Eric. I just by Monday. If it's by Monday only, John. I mean John's in Austin. Maybe he can network and stuff. Maybe he met one of the guys walking out of the building today. So if it gets done by Monday, two million to you, John. 
if an unprofitable company is worth forty-eight million, a profitable company needs to be worth probably a hundred million. Two billion. Excuse me, two billion. Anyways, we've been talking for more than five minutes. I don't think we've discussed track and field. So can we please? I I did the intro though, and I didn't like doing the intro. By the way, I didn't give a special shout. I forgot. It's a very special day. Today, my son turned eighteen. It's gone by so quickly. Eighteen months, one point five. It's a big day today. But I also didn't get to introduce myself as the most controversial man in the sport. Just because- I love how Robert just gives himself this self-appointed title. Like he's. Just, I think you've claimed in past podcasts that I called you the most controversial man in track and field. I don't really remember doing that, but you know, maybe that's part of your controversy is that you just self-anoint yourself the most controversial man. Well, people get mad that I like to talk about how my how I'm so smart, but. It's it's really sad because what am I controversial for? I'm controversial for saying that a man, excuse me, someone born a man, should not dominate women's sports. Like that's basically the only conference, only controversial thing I've said. And I, when, when I was listening to last week's podcast on my run this week, I was like, wait a minute, like we're debating at what level is this fair? How about never? So that's all I'm going to say about it this week. Except let's talk a little bit of Castro's menu before we get NCAs. She's back. But do we have any of the social justice warriors complaining? Folks, this shows that there is a two-tier justice system. I do agree with that. If you're rich and have lawyers, access to lawyers, the courts generally go in your direction. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, or whatever. O.J. Simpson, we, we know how he got off. Castor Semenya in this case. Um, the Castor case to me is actually, I, I can sort of conceive how she could win that. I don't see how somebody born an actual full-blown male could do it. But to me, it's very simple. Like she may be, have been raised as a woman, but biologically, what is she more like male or female? We only have two categories. I know. And gender is not binary. So, but in sports it is. So there you have it folks. But I know you guys don't want to talk about that. So NCA, John, you're at the press conference. What is the inside scoop? What do I not know about from not being down there this afternoon? Okay, well, I mean, one thing that it's pretty funny. It started off with Grant Holloway just trying to find a bathroom. Like this was on like the suite level of the Texas football stadium, and the suites all have bathrooms in them, but most of them were locked. Like the one that was unlocked, uh, they locked the bathroom in there because someone was in there. So Grant was like before the press conference was just like pacing up and down trying to find a bathroom, and eventually found one. Uh, so yeah, that's the big breaking news. But no, I mean the. I don't think anyone said anything. Oh, so, so the, all right. Most interesting thing I thought was I was asking Grant Holloway. He was talking about his defeat at SECs because he he lost his first collegiate hurdles race in two years at SECs to Daniel Roberts at Kentucky. Roberts went ran thirteen oh seven in that race, which tied the world lead, which was held by Grant Holloway, and. Then Grant, I was asking him, like, he said he didn't execute well in that race. He's like, I didn't execute at all. And so I asked him, well, what do you mean by that? What didn't you execute specifically? And he's just like, I ran like shit. And then he goes into detail. He's like, my first three steps weren't great. Like, my arms weren't in the right position. I didn't have momentum at the end of the race as a result. And then he's like, and that's just the stuff that you can see with the naked eye. You know, me and uh, my coach went into great detail studying it. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but I just want to say the idea, Grant, I, I know you might hold yourself to a high standard, Grant, and you've got 13 flat, the collegiate record from Ronald, by Ronaldo Nehemiah, which by the way is 40 effing years old. Can you believe this thing is still around? Like 
at that time, when Nehemiah broke that world record, the world record was 1316. He just totally obliterated it, and it's still the collegiate record 40 years later. So totally crazy. But anyway, Grant ran 13-12 in that race. Only one guy, Daniel Roberts of Kentucky, the guy who beat him in that race, has run faster than him that year. I wouldn't call it like I wouldn't call say that he ran like shit, but I think he definitely thinks he can go better. And we might see the first sub 13 by a collegiate in the 110 hurdles this uh, ever this week in Austin, which would be great. And also, hey, we, I don't know if we should have done previews of NTA's first because you know this podcast drops Wednesday, NTA start Wednesday, but the finals people are not until Friday and Saturday, so don't feel like you can't listen to this before then. But also, we're gonna have some. I got some audio from Bill Simmons on Matthew Bowling coming up, so you guys can skip to the end if this is after Friday. But, John, you're sort of like talking to Grant like your buddies. I know it's a big deal. Everyone, Grant Holloway and John are now Twitter followers. Or, no, actually, I assume you already followed Grant, but now he follows you. Big day for John. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to brag about it, but you just did. So, yeah, that happened. But, anyway, well, it's funny. We were on the elevator on the way out of the stadium, and he he wanted to know where I was from because he noticed my accent. And I told him I'm from England. But then I said I'm from Boston, as so I live in Boston now. And he's like, what's Boston known for? And I explained that it was known for clam chowder and also just winning sports championships because uh, we've got two in the last year and another one coming with the Stanley Cup. But, anyway, um, and then the other thing, basically – I got away from this press conference. Grant Holloway and Mondo Duplantis savor these guys This in NCAA uniforms. Like, if you're an LSU fan or a Florida fan, like, enjoy the shit out of this weekend because these guys are not coming back next year. Like, they asked Mondo, are you going pro? And he said, well, nothing's official yet, which is not exactly a convincing way of saying, I'm coming back for my sophomore year of college. And Grant, Grant Holloway essentially said, you know, indoors, he kind of slipped up and was like, yeah, next year will be Daniel Roberts here, um, suggesting that he'll be gone because Grant's only a junior. So I think these two, I mean, they're such big talents. They're both world number one right now in their events. Uh, it would be foolish for them not to go pro. So I would just say enjoy them this weekend because they're probably not going to be around in the collegiate uniform anymore. Well, one thing I'd like to point out about these, both the hurdles and, and and the pole vault, is not only do we have the world number one, we also have the world number two. I mean, hallways tie for world number one, but in the pole vault, um, the guy from South Dakota, John Chris Chris Nielsen, Nielsen is number two in the world at five eighty five, and there's another guy in there that's like the he's in the top 10 all time for collegiate vaulters. That, yeah. That Matt a- Ludwig, who's uh, the 2017 NCAA champion actually for Akron. So I was polishing up on my field events and sending John the stats in case any field event guys were there. But so it's really two events on the men's side. We have the top two people in the world in the event, but it's interesting to me. I've got inside information, folks. I have the early results of the running warehouse. Let's run.com prediction contest contest. So Grant Hallway is a guy that lost his conference meet. Yet, 86.4% of Let's Run Nation is picking him. Only 12.8% are picking Daniel Roberts to win that race. Very surprising. Grant is like the second biggest favorite. Well, Quincy Hall in the 400 hurdles is 86.3%. So he's tied for the second biggest favorite on the men's side in any event that we did, which was all the running events. And um, the biggest favorite, in case you're asking, Divine Oduduru of Texas Tech and the men's 200 being picked right now by 96.2% of Let's Run Nation. So there you have it. But let's talk what we want to talk about, the distance events. And um, the big one, 
is obviously the men's 5,000. That's what we're most excited about. So let's end with that. What women's event, John, do you want to talk about first? Well, the the one I'm most excited for is probably also the women's 5,000 because you've got Danny Jones. I mean, she's just a a huge talent, you know, really good. Uh, The NCAA cross-country champion. And then she was hurt, missed all of indoors, uh, comes back late. She didn't run until April 27th in the outdoor season. And now, you know, she won the Pac-12 title and she's stepping up to the 5K and she's trying to take on Wayne Kaladi. And Ali Ostrander, who's also the you know two-time defending steeple champion, she's doubling back from the steeple earlier in the day. I don't think it, she'll contend, but she's been running really well this year. Like Ostrander is the NCAA leader in the 10K. She's also one of the fastest 5Ks this year, and she's running this two-time defending steeple chance. So she's just phenomenal. But Danny Jones, Wayne Kaladi, I think that's going to be interesting. Also, another race I think is going to be fantastic is the women's 1500 final because we've got Jessica Cahull here who is the reigning champion from Oregon. She won the 3K indoors. She anchored the winning DMR indoors. But, and she, you know, she's the ostensible, she's the favorite in this race. But Dave Smith was uh, texting me earlier today, the Oklahoma State coach, and he was telling me, like, do not sleep on Sinclair Johnson. This is a guy, this is a, sorry, a woman that he told me about at NCAA indoors. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, but she, is she really going to beat Jess Hall? And, you know, he's like, yeah, this girl, I mean, this girl can close, man. She's really good. And she didn't end up beating her in the DMR. She came close. I think she did actually split faster than Jess Hall did, but uh, Oklahoma State still lost to Oregon. But then Dave texted me, she's undefeated out this outdoor season, um, undefeated in collegiate against collegiate competition and solo events in the mile on down all year, so including indoors. She anchored two winning relays at Drake, including a 202 carry on their record setting 4x8. She has the fastest 1500 in the NCAA this year. The Big 12 champion at 800 as well. She had the fastest last 600, 400, 300, 200, and 100 of all the prelim winners. And she was the last person to beat Jess Hall in a 1500, you know, if you count regionals in uh, 2018. So she she's just, here's the thing. She can close really well. She closed in 62 low to win her heat at regionals and ran 409 in that race. If you can run 409 and close in 62 at NCAAs, many years that's good enough to win. So I think seeing those two do battle, and then you've also got Carissa Nelson, who's a former NCAA champion. You've got Jessica, sorry, Julia Rizek from Ohio State, who's the NCAA indoor champion this year. You've got Taryn Rawlings of Portland, who ran 410 at regionals. She was fourth in the mile. She had a big PR at regionals. I think there's just the 1500. If you've got a lot of good women in the ra- that race, it's always going to be exciting. And I think we could have a really good one on our hands there. Yeah. The women's meet, I mean, there's a lot of star power. I think we have what three women that have already won three NCAA titles, Danny Jones, Jessica hole and um, Ali Ostrander are looking for a fourth title. John's preview was quite deep. Ostrander is going for uh, her, her third. Yeah. That's what I thought. So I don't know why we had that, John. I was going to, I was wondering. That, that I think means. you made that the title, Robert. So, um, I'm not. I'm not taking the blame for that one. Right, I put that in the excerpt, not the title, John. Anyways, my mistake. I apologize, folks. There's an interesting chart. John has the winning time and last lap of the women's 1500s for every year from 2011 to 2018. Folks, those typos don't just create themselves. It takes a lot of time. So good work there, John. <laughs> I haven't made my official picks yet, but the women's steeple interests me. I mean, we've got Ali Astrong Strander, and then we've got. Um, Adva Cohen of, of New Mexico. I mean, Cohen's PR is nine seconds faster than Ostrander. 
So everyone's like, oh, Ash Turner's going to definitely win. She's going for the three-peat. I almost was like, no, we need to pick her just for our official pick. But our official let's run pick was, we stuck with Ostrander, but mainly because, you know, I, I looked at what you said and I did the research just to confirm it. She's never lost a steeplechase race in her life. I mean, she did finish third in one prelim one time, but she's never lost. A so maybe her PR would be nine seconds faster if she was running all out. So if you're wondering why Weldon has been really quiet, he is watching the Orioles, my, my beloved Baltimore Orioles, take on the Texas Rangers. They're down by like the Texas Rangers are down by like seven runs. Weldon is still watching that instead of talking on the podcast. Please turn off your television. Weldon is like a, uh, with an 18 month old child. You realize how addicting TV is. So that's why I'm looking away, but I can tell Weldon's staring at it. So then I look at my TV to see what's happening. This is a big day. The Texas Rangers are in the number two wild card spot. This team is supposed to suck. I gave up on them. My doorman's really big into baseball. He's like, the Rangers suck, blah, blah, blah. We're under 500. We won a few games in a row. I checked the standings. I sort of get greedy. I'm like, hey, I wonder where the wild card is. And ever since then, I've been obsessed. This is the first game since I realized we had the wild card. And we're playing the lowly Baltimore Royals, like the worst team in baseball. Robert claims to watch every game. I flip it on. It's 4 nothing. We're getting blasted. And then Robert now tells me he never watches any games anymore. Very depressing. Big day in Texas. Big day in Texas. John is there and now playoff baseball. Folks, in case you're not aware, Weldon did attend the University of Texas. My mother's a graduate. My uncle's a graduate. Weldon attended his fifth year after four mediocre years at Yale University, never finishing higher than fourth in the 10,000, I think, at the Conference Mate in Ivy League. Weldon, folks, if you're in college and you're not at NCAAs and you're dreaming of it and you suck, don't necessarily hang up the spikes, folks. Weldon couldn't even score in the conference meet at Texas in the Big 12 as a fifth-year senior and getting fourth in the country. Robert, can I jump in here as well? Weldon, I asked him this earlier, Weldon's not sure if he holds a degree from the University of Texas or not. I didn't. I don't think I claim that he did have a degree. I just No, I, I know you didn't, but I think it's fascinating. Like, I know all the schools that I graduated from, and I know all the schools I didn't graduate from. And Weldon apparently can't keep track of those. It was about the knowledge and the women for me in college, John. It's a joke about the women. <laughs> okay. That made me a misogynist because I made a joke about women because I wasn't like a ladies' man. Uh, anyway, I'm not sure. It's very sensitive these days. But was in the master's in accounting prog- program. I actually had an academic scholarship and, you know, in-state residence. So that helped out. I think I only took one semester, so there's no way I got a master's in one semester. Right? Seems unlikely. So I'm going, I don't have it. But also, like, the first time I, I was applying for jobs, I checked my Yale transcript, and they had me down as a double major in econ and history. And I called up Yale, and I was like, uh, I don't think the uh, history degree is supposed to be down there. I sort of pulled out of doing the double degree. And they were like, but I was, I was an econ hi- major. I wrote an economic history paper that was really long and won the, like, econ award at Yale. And I thought maybe they gave me extra credit or something. And they're like, well, it's down there, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, but it really shouldn't be. And the lady said, it's down there to take credit for it. So when I, if I run for office, here's proof right here. I don't know. I'm not trying to cheat anyone. Thank you. They'll say daddy pulled strings like George Bush getting out of the Air National Guard. I was never in the National Guard. I have no military service. So if I claim it after this point, please listen to the podcast. I think the Rangers have a run back. It's now nine to three. All right, let's talk about running. There is a there is a trap meet going on this weekend, Robert. Okay, I'm going to make my my predictions real quick. I, I think in the women's 800, uh, Danae Rivers is, is the one to be. But but Matt, wow, Kinsney, Pinsney Aikens is really good. One of those two women will definitely win it. Ostrander, I'm going with. Although I could see Burke winning it. Collada definitely in the 10,000. 
5,000. Definitely Danny Jones, assuming she's... My only question, though, is is there any chance, John, do we know that she's really fit? Like, maybe she just started late because she was hurt and she's not been really fit. Well, she did start late because she was hurt. She posted... I have to... I have to. Tr- I mean, I guess I could have told Wetmore yesterday when I was writing the preview, but I instead I trolled, trolled through her Instagram account, and yes, she was hurt indoors. Uh, so yeah, I mean, do we know if she's a hundred percent like as good as she was in cross country? No, we don't know that yet. But she won Pat twelve. She has a killer kick. I'm gonna give her the benefit of the doubt and say she'll probably be able to hang and, and win that thing. But we, you know, maybe if Kaladi's better than she was in cross, and Danny Jones is a little worse than she was. No, I mean, Jones should win it. She's got, if she was in the 1500 at 407, she'd have the best PB of anyone in the field. And she's running cross country. So 5,000 is in between cross country and 1500, she should win. But let's talk about the men, folks. Men's 800, Bryce Hopple, undefeated on the year, but he's giving up more than a second in terms of seasonal best to Texas A&M's Devin Dixon, who doesn't necessarily have the best track record in NCAs. But Devin Dixon won the SEC, which is normally a sick meet by more than two seconds. John, I know you picked Hopple. He was at the press conference. Are you still confident in that pick? Yeah, man. I see this as like, I'm not going to say, all right, this might sound blasphemous. I see this as somewhat similar to Clayton Murphy back in 2016, where Murphy was just winning everything and he wasn't really worried about running as fast as he could. He would just get in the race and freaking win and run people down late in the race. And he did that in the sixteen hundred in the eight hundred indoors. He won that race in the fifteen hundred outdoors. They made a really fast pace. He just sat on them and kicked by them and won. Like Bryce Hopple, his best time this year outdoors is only one forty six. But I think if uh, even if Dixon goes out and runs one forty four, which he has done this year, I think Hopple could just sit on him and pull by at the end. Like I asked him, "Is there a time? How fast do you think you can run in this final?" And he said, "Whatever it takes to win." That's exactly what. It's very similar to what Clayton Murphy told me in the 2016 Olympics. When I was like, hey, do you think, you know, you get in this final, do you, how fast do you think you can go? Like, is it, is it going to go too fast for you? He's like, whatever it takes to medal, I'll, I'll run. And he ran 142. So I know Murphy's a better runner than Hopple, but I just get vibes. This guy knows how to win. He can close really well. I think we could see him run 144 or 145 and win this race. John, correct you in the seasonal best. It's 145.87, not 146. Okay. From what meet? I don't know. That's where I entered him in the season in the in our contest. So unless I made him a rare mistake. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's 145. I was I was incorrect on that one. Um, folks, there you have it. John's made his first mistake of the year. Now, John, I, 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 if you know the answer to this, I'd, I'd be fascinated. I noticed that Jonah Koich, who used to be at UTEP, is now running for Texas Tech. Like, how did that happen? Um, well, generally, if a school, if an athlete doesn't want to run for one school anymore, he will transfer and start competing for another school. I think that's what happened in this instance. I don't know the specifics of why he left one. I just, I don't like these mid I think people should sit out. It's going to be like, everyone's going to end up at all the good schools. Cause you're basically now like the Monmouths and, and the, and the lower D one schools are just going to be like feeders to Oregon's. I mean, UTEP is UTEP really like, I, I guess tr- Texas Tech's track fit pro- and field program is stronger overall, but like, UTEP has produced the last two NCAA. Sorry, it's produced the last two NCAA indoor indoor champions, 2018 and 2017. Sorry, Emmanuel Courier and Michael Cerrone. Like, why would you want to leave? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Fascinating. Like, did he have a falling out with the coach? The other Kenyans. It's pretty interesting to get. Like, maybe the coach wanted to get rid of him, so he sent. I'm sure you'd be happy to have him if you're Texas Tech. So uh, who knows? I'd love to know the real story there. Yeah. But um, 
so we've, we've done the 800. Let's move up to the 1500. Fascinating race. Oliver Hoare, the defending champion. And last year, remember, I mean, he upset Josh Kerr. That was huge. We assumed he'd be unbeatable this year. He lost indoors. He beat pretty much all the top guys earlier in the year at, I think it was Brian Clay, right, John? Yes. But then he loses his, his conference meet. And by the way, I don't know, if you're looking to make the prediction contest and win it, I'm not sure if Michigan's, is it, what's his first name, John Kippertich? Justine Kippertich, Michigan State. I don't even know if he's entered because he didn't have a fast time this year. You might want to pick other. He was the runner-up in 2017, so he's got a chance. But I don't. I'm. Th- I think this race is pretty open. I think the one guy I'm. I, the one guy I picked is Yard Nagus of Notre Dame. He was the anchor of the DMR that won indoors. I think he was the best miler in the country indoors, and he just didn't enter the individual mile. So he's my pick. Well, I thought that, but then he got beat by Hort. You know, in the middle of the outdoor season. It's a lot easier to look good in the DMR when you're fresh and everybody else is doubling back from the, from the mile prelims. Grant Fisher wasn't doubling back that night, just to remind you. He's not a 1,500-meter runner. Speaking of the prediction contest, if you're not sure what they're talking about, Running Warehouse is the sponsor of our prediction contest. And as all of our contests, probably the last, I don't know, three or four years have been sponsored by Running Warehouse – so they're a great partner, and where else can you get free two-day shipping on running shoes? And they really know shoes. I mean, it's great. But go to the homepage of Let's Run.com. You go perfect. All you got to do is pick the top three in all the running events. We'll give you $200,000 in nine, How do you say this? $219,000? No. $200,019. We'll give you $200,019 if you do that over 20 years. Let's just throw in an extra eighteen thousand. If you if you if you say you listen to the podcast, we'll give you two hundred nineteen thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah. So there it is, Robert Johnson giving away an extra nineteen thousand um, dollars. But if you just finish in the top three of the contest, you will win a running warehouse gift certificate and a new New Balance Fuel Cell Rebel Rebel running shoe. That's based on the taking design cues from the New Balance fifty two eighty. So thanks to them for sponsoring. It's very easy. If you know nothing about NCAs, we have a little guide. You know, It's got the top three, what they've done. You just pick essentially your top three in the running events. It takes five minutes, and you could win, and it'll make watching NCAs more important, a little more fun, I guess. And also, last week on the podcast, I said, hey, I wasn't sure if you guys could still get 15% off CBD oils, certified CBD oils. Don't be buying them from the bodega. But good news, Floyd's of Leadville, the code is still working. Run 2019 at com. That's Floyd as in Floyd Landis. Go there. Use code RUN2019. These are certified CBD products. You guys are buying them up. Floyd's is very excited. They keep working with us because, I mean, where else can you get CBD oils for runners and recovery? These are great products. And 15% off your first order with code RUN2019. So, guys, I have a question for you. Speaking of the prediction contest, are we going to be on this podcast next week? And I'm going to be hearing from you guys saying, well, I would have won the contest if I had made the picks on time. Or, oh, I forgot about this thing. So, I mean, do you guys have any pre-prepared excuses you'd like to get out there for when I ultimately beat you? John, we have responsibilities. We don't just get to write you know, one article maybe every other day and call it a day. I mean, first of all, 
we have a business to run. Profits, profits to be made. Unlike full track, even we have profits to make. Weldon has ads to put up. I have a child, a child to support. Weldon has dogs to walk. None of these things do you have, John. I have a plane to catch tomorrow. So I, I was on a flight this morning. Well, that's true. But what if there's no internet in the plane? I'm planning on doing the entries during the plane. I should have done the entries when I made. I actually made the guide for the contest, and I feel I was. I feel like when I made the guide, despite making a few mistakes, I'm like, wow, I really know some key things here. So yes, we should have a contest, and we'll announce the winners between the staff. Good. Next week. So we talked about the 1500. Steeplechase, we've got the defending champion, obviously. Well, there's a lot of defending champions coming back from Minnesota. He's running 831, but the fastest guy in the year is a Dave Smith product, Dick Ryan Smeaton, 827. Coming into the year, his PR was 854. It's pretty amazing. We've got a Princeton boy. By the way, I didn't shout out to Matt, to, to William Paulson, who's also one of the top 1500 seeds. He's no longer at Princeton. He's at Arizona State as a grad student, but we do have a, a Princeton undergrad, only a sophomore from Australia. I met his parents when I was doing the Ivy League championship broadcast on ESPN plus they flew out to what Philadelphia where perhaps this year parents have been here I think they're still in, in town they're, they're going to be for like six weeks they're planning on the son making NCAs he was only like wow. 50 I yeah. love the confidence oh yeah they're like they're, apparently he's pretty big in Australia he's like oh he was already fourth in the country now that he's dropped like 16 seconds I imagine he's more than higher than fourth so he's run 833 he's the fourth seed Stephen Fahey of Stanford he's back from injury he ran 1334 this spring yeah, I mean, he's running like 1330s for flat 5,000. So I was tempted to like think he might, if I, I could he's go. He's got a shot. Yeah, I mean, 1330s is pretty good for flat running. But Ollie's got a really good kick, as you noted in the preview. Um, so that, that's a pretty interesting race. I mean, I think Ollie was a, a good pick. That was the official let's run dot pick dot com pick. And then let's go to the 10,000 because that's before the 5,000, even though we were going chronological order. We have six BYU guys, including the top four seeds. In terms of time, now the problem I, I have with BYU, John, first of all, do these guys run 20 and 11, 12, 18 and 18 all in the same race. Uh, I I think I, uh, I you know I honestly don't know I can't tell. So did you. Connor McMillan like beat all of the other three? Because they don't even have a conference meet. Do you guys realize that like BYU is not even in a track conference? What a joke! Like what do they they just sit around and get ready for NCAA outdoors? But um. It's hard to pick between them. Tyler Day is the top returner from last year. He was fourth. Well, Robert, what worries what worries me a little bit about this race, though, so BYU qualified six guys, which is remarkable achievement. Really, really fantastic. But do you realize that three of those four guys you listed as the top seeds, uh, Connor Mance, Clayton Young, and Rory Linkleder, they finished 22nd, 23rd, and 24th in the final last year. I didn't realize how well, I I didn't realize it was bad, but I knew it was bad because in my week it was. I said how many they have six entrants, but how many points will they score? I mean BYU last year really was embarrassing in this race. I mean twenty two, twenty three, and twenty four. Now it does look like they 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 must have just packed that in and run together because they all ran thirty one, thirty seven, and I think they were probably they must have been saving it for like the whoa five k or something. But that's what? just not good. I, I forgot about this. I'm looking at the BYU results. So they all ran that on Stanford, or not all. Connor McMillan and Roy Rollinclater ran at Stanford on May 2nd. So the other guys must have run at a different meet because there's no other BYU guys in here. But I, I, I said, whoa, because I didn't realize the guy that I recruited to Cornell, Ben DeHaan, was right behind them. Now Belgium, former Cornell runner. Netherlands. 
Excuse me. Thank you, John. He's racing Kajelgen, actually, by the way, folks, if you're a Ben Renero fan. Lambs to the slaughter. But these guys, you know, I mean, I, the way I view it is I'm not excited about any of these guys. When your PR is faster than Weldon Johnson's, I can't view you as a dominant NCAA, slower than Weldon Johnson's, excuse me. I don't view you as a dominant NCAA champion. Like, there's no stud in this race like Lowey or King Chez or Ruppy. Right. I mean, no. And look, the, I think the BYU guys, one of them could win. I mean, Rory Linkletter was second in this race in 2017. Like, he's good. He's got a good kick. Uh, Mance is a guy totally unafraid to just run from the front and, you know, start just hammering it. So I think they got a chance. I don't think any of them are going to win. I think Tyler Day, he's the guy who was the top returner from last year, but he was only 13th indoors in the 5K. He didn't even qualify in the 5K outdoors. So there's legitimate concerns about him. Gilbert Keegan is the best non-BYU guy based on time, but he was only 12th indoors. And then you've got Aaron Templeton, Furman. He was fifth in NCAA cross. You've got a lot of guys who've run like a few good races, but you know, no, no NCAA champs in this field. But the guy I picked, I don't know, somewhat hot take incoming, Ben Veach of Indiana. And he was seventh, seventh in the 5K indoors, pretty respectable. Outdoors. He got outkicked by Morgan McDonald in the pen relays and in the Big Ten 10K. And he made Morgan McDonald sort of work for it down the home stretch in the 10K at Big Tens. So he's my pick. I think it's, we're going to have two straight winners from the Big Ten following up Ben Flanagan of Michigan last year, Ben Veach. I like the pick, folks, and he's other than the prediction contest. So if you want to be smart, pick other, definitely for one of your 10K picks. But you know, we need to put an asterisk. Whoever wins the 10,000, because Morgan McDonald would have won the race. And that's one of the things. When we talk about like Mo Fair being the greatest because he won the 10 and the 5, well, first of all, like people like Helga Rosselli didn't even try to win the 10 and the 5 because you had to run two rounds of the 10K. So it's just, I don't know. Like The fact that McDonald's not in the race is a little disappointing to me. I was trying to look up and see how old these these uh, BYU guys are. Tillis Dobshire does not list a birth date for Connor McMillan. John, try to figure out what high school year he was. Oh, McMillan, I'm pretty sure, is like a sixth or seventh year. Who? Connor McMillan, I'm pretty sure, is a sixth or seventh year. Well, Rory Linkletter, he's a BYU senior. He must not have done a mission. He's only 22, folks. Yeah, no, Corey, uh, no, not Corey. Rory, uh, yeah, he didn't go on a mission. I think he Maybe Can- like, uh, do Canadians not do missions, John? He's a Canadian Mormon. That was, I, don't, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, Robert. That was a joke. I'm going to try to see how old Clayton Young is because, folks, I'm all about fairness in the sport it doesn't matter i am about protecting the integrity of the sport wow clayton young he might be older than you john how old are you 28 he's certainly not older than i am he's 25 years and 264 days so he's even older than aaron finn aaron finn turns 25 later this year and she's not Mormon. So oh, okay. Connor McMillan. all right connor mcmillan no sorry I, I i'm sorry connor i jumped on top of you he's he graduated high school in 2014, so this would be his – if he's a fifth-year senior. So that's not uncommon. So Ben Veach is our upset pick there. And then we go to the 5,000. What a race. Morgan McDonald, he's won everything this year. Grant Fisher, the golden boy, the Foot Locker champ. Was he a two-time Foot Locker champ, John? Two-time. Yeah, when you're a two-time Foot Locker champ, I fall in love with you if you're American. and Born in Canada. Remember that. He is an American citizen, but he was born in Canada. Put a slight asterisk there. But, um, you know, he won the 5K two years ago, and then 
hasn't really done much in terms of run really fast or win anything um, since. So doesn't win anything as conference meet this year. But can he got a winner? I think the answer should be no. Morgan McDonald is the heavy favorite for me. But don't sleep on those two because if Morgan McDonald just thinks, oh, I'm going to sit on Grant Fisher and blow his doors off like I did indoors. Well, we have the NCAA mile champion in this race, Jordy Bemis. Kind of surprising that he ran the 5,000, I guess. But I think it's smart. It's going to be hot as hell in Texas. That normally means a slow time, John. He's run 1331, so he's only two seconds off these guys. They've both run 1329 this year. Or Fisher's run 1329 this year. I mean, McDonald's PR is like 1313 or something. So he thinks, I can kick, stay in it, and I'm going to not kick them. So McDonald, I assume he thinks he's – who do you think has better, better wheels at 1500, John, just flat out, McDonald or Fisher? I think McDonald. We've just seen him. He closed those those indoor races. I mean, he had a better kick at Milrose and just didn't have good positioning. And then he he had a better kick in uh, in NCAA's. But I, I want to shout out Jody Beamish for a second here as well, Robert. This is this is awesome. I read, uh, you know, I read sometimes I'll read Flow Track. I read that preview with Meat, and they I think they had interviewed him on the broadcast and. They asked him why he was running the 5K and not the 1500 because he's the NCAA mile champ. And he said, everyone would agree the 5K is the strongest event with Morgan and Grant running, and I want to race them. I mean, how can you not love the ballsiness there? That, that really, you know, I don't root for athletes, but I really John, appreciate that. I don't like that comment. I'm serious. People talk about sexist stuff. What does balls have to do with courage? Oh, it's just become a, a euphemism or a... I don't think I don't think people mean it as a time of only, you, only men can have courage. I think it's just become a synonym. Some didn't Lauren Fleshman off this race say she raced with bulls? Big bulls, yeah, but it shouldn't be necessarily because then it plays into stereotypes. And I don't have a sister, but I always cite my dear friend from Princeton, who was the Hillary Clinton speechwriter. Won't mention her every by week, name, but every week he said, <laughs> "Robert, it's like I get a joke card saying like I have a black friend, I have a gay friend, I have a liberal friend." He's just like <laughs> trying try to go out of his way to make sure he's, yep. he's like covering his bases. She taught me, and I used to teach. This is the way I used to teach my young men at Cornell. It wasn't just about running, John. It was about life lessons. When someone would say, "You're the p word," can I say? Can I say that? No, I'm, you can't. I'm, okay. Call someone the p word. I would say, "Oh, he's warm and moist." Like, why is that associated with? Weakness. So I, I was actually calling someone on, on the electronic message board, folks. So please don't say I'm insensitive, folks. I am for women's rights, and I'm protecting women's rights by keeping the people like trying to keep people like Cece Telfer out of elite women's sports. Unfortunately for Cece, I mean, I'm happy that she's happy, but just don't think that. I mean, it, we couldn't make this up, folks. All right. So five K, you're going, you're going McDonald's, Robert. Without a doubt. All right, Weldon, you've been pretty silent on these picks. Do you have an opinion? Morgan McDonald, Grant Fisher, Jordy Beamish, or other? Who would Robert go with? Morgan McDonald. Yeah, I mean, that's what I want to go with. I'm going to go... Oh, gosh, it's going to be hot. No one's factoring in that. Those BYU guys might get their clock cleaned in that 10K. You guys, I'm being being the 10,000-meter expert here, nobody asked me about my opinion on that one. I just BYU altitude. I mean, the problem is everybody's from altitude. So like who's really used to running in the heat? Um, I don't know. Maybe somebody like Gilbert Boyd or something. He's run 28, 25. He's been more used to it. Gilbert Keegan also. I don't know. I think 
if it rains before the 10,000 meter, it really will help the altitude guys. But I think a lot of them are going to not be used to the weather in Austin at all. But 5,000. Walden's making a good point there, actually. I don't know. I'm just going to go with Beamish to be cool. Yeah, the BYU guys are going to get destroyed in that race because of it. But do you think McDonald's not used to I mean, he's been in Wisconsin for several years, but he's from Australia. It's deceptively hot in the Midwest of America, Iowa, Wisconsin, though I'm not sure this time of year. He's from Australia, so he's probably more used to it than the mountain guys for sure. Yeah, when he won, remember, he won the Aussie champs in the 5K, won probably his most impressive victory, honestly. He beat a stud field before the Commonwealth Games last year. That was in pretty hot weather, and he ran like 13, 19. So I don't think that he's really going to be much of a problem for Morgan. Okay, the NCAs were last in Austin in 2004, I believe. Want someone to predict? The win- Tell me the winning time of the 10,000 meters that year. Okay, was that the Dathan Ritzenheim year? It's one of the most mem- memory, biggest memories I have of an Austin, Texas meet. Robert Cheserick was tripped. He got up off the ground. This is Bernard Lagat's brother, and he destroyed Dathan Ritzenheim. I think it was in the 5,000. Uh, and I thought this guy, like, his brother was so good. His, I don't. I still would love to, John, you need to do a feature story. And how could this guy, he's got the genetics. He was a dominant champion at NCAAs. And most Kenyans seem to get better once they get out. And he d- did it. I mean, he So was, wait, should I do the story about the, the guy whose twin brother was a 2806 10K runner and he didn't run in college? What about that? I should chase that guy down and find out he, why he wasn't good. John, I didn't win several NCAA titles. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um what was the winning time in that race? 10K. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, I'm going to say over 30 minutes because I just think it would be that would be cr- insane. No, not that bad. 29.22. Still pretty slow. Who won it? So it came down to two guys. Yeah, Alistair Craig defeating Robert Cheserit. 29.22. I'm looking at the Let's Run.com archives. Holy shit, the previews were pretty sparse back then, the recaps. But there is a recap on the website. Coverage is much better, John. Thank you. Glad to know that I'm you know, bringing some value. No, but now, now fans expect detailed coverage. Back then, you're happy to get the results. So it's interesting. Looking at the results, the men's 5,000 in 2004, 15 years ago, Robert Cheserick wins 1349. Dathan Ritz time, 1352. So that was the race I was remembering correctly. Those guys... Look at the how far apart they were. Third place, John. Who was third place? Big name. Uh, Chris Linsky. Matt Tegenkamp. Uh, He's older than Ritz, so I don't know if we see a year ahead of Ritz. I would love to know what year they were. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, they were teammates on the 2001 World Cross team. So Tegenkamp was a year older, and that was Ritz's senior year and Tegenkamp's freshman year in college. So fourteen eleven. So those guys were like, geez, nineteen seconds ahead of third. That's how good they were. But Cheserick, I mean, Ritz and Cheserick was three seconds ahead of Ritz. So that's a pretty big margin anyway. Despite falling and losing a shoe in the middle of the race. Jeez, where are you guys finding these results? I'm impressed. I had to go to the Let's Run archives. I can tell you're not there. I'm on Tillis Stops, Joe. Still a Tillis Top Topaja. We need to get that guy on here. Till us stop by Dutch. Okay, let's move on. We have also on Thursday, and we're not going to have time to write a preview, folks. Rome Diamond League, John. 
it's got some big stuff. I know Michael Norman is, is racing Noel Lyles at 200, which will be fantastic. But there's some interesting distance races you were telling me briefly off air. What are the big races? Yeah, so men's 800 is going to be good. We've got some American representation in that one. Donovan Brazier, Clayton Murphy. We've got world indoor champion Adam Schott. We've got Nigel Amos. He won the Diamond League opener in Doha. So that's going to be pretty interesting. I think Clayton, I saw him on Twitter. He's posting like he's got this European tour coming up and he's he's feeling pretty fit. So I really think, I, it's, I'm just, I like that Murphy and Brazier are racing each other. Sometimes we'll see like these high profile training partners will just dodge each other. They raced each other indoors in Boston and Brazier won that one. They're racing each other in Rome. Anyone leaning one way or another between Brazier and Murphy, both US champs indoors this year? Guess not. I will lean in favor of uh, Clayton Murphy then. What, what have they done recently? Is any of them? I mean, Murphy, I don't think Murphy's race hasn't raced outdoors yet this season. If I, Correct me if I'm wrong. And Brazier ran pretty well. Brazier was third in the Diamond League opener in Doha. So that's pretty good. Oh, sorry. Murphy, he did run. He ran at Oxy. He won the 800. They didn't look good. I'm going Brazier. Okay. Well, but unless Murphy like sits in the back and out kicks him, like beating him, but doesn't do well. In the but race. doesn't run for the win. No, I, I would expect him to run for the win. Uh, we've got another 5,000 on tap. It seems like we just had one in Shanghai, but we've got another one a few weeks later. Uh, that This is going to be good. We've got Selman Borregas back. We've got Hagos Gebruet. We've got Joshua Cheptegei, the world cross-country champion, is running this. We've got the Diamond League debut of Justin Knight. We've got Philip Ingebrigtsen stepping up. We've got Nick Willis stepping up. We've got Ben True running the 5K. You know, there's no Kajelcher in this one, so and there's no Paul Chalimo. So one of those guys, you know, has a chance. I, I would probably lean towards Borrega, but Gebra White did just run really well in the 10K in Stockholm, so... That race shouldn't be too bad. Mo Ahmed of the Bauman Track Club also in that one. And then women's, eight, women's 1500. That's going to be pretty good as well. Jenny Simpson, Diamond League debut this in 2019. Laura Muir uh, coming off a nice win in Stockholm last week. She looked really good. And then we've got Gonzebe de Barba, the world indoor champion. And Gabriella Debu Stafford. Um, sorry if I'm not pronouncing your first name. Is your first hyphenated name. Correctly, Gabriella, uh, you're going to have to correct me on that one. But she ran really well. Canadian record in the 5K last week in Stockholm. How does she do in the 1500? I'm probably going to bet on Laura Muir in that race, but it's interesting to see Gonzebe Dababa running a Diamond League. It's so great. I'm very excited to see Dababa in that race. That's 15? 1500. She is the world record holder, right? Or is she second? She is the world record holder. Folks, and, and, and Yomif Kajelcha is not in that race, as John said, because he is running Hinglo on Sunday. He's got 12.46. Next best guy in the field is 13.04. Yeah, and then we've also also Noah Lyles and Michael Norman. Those two, I mean, Lyles ran great in the 100, and in Shanghai got the win over, Norman, no, over Coleman in 986. Norman ran 43-45 back in April, and then he won in Stockholm last week. They're meeting in the middle. The middle, that's generally Noah Lyles' distance. You know, he hasn't lost a Diamond League 200. Has he ever lost a Diamond League 200? I don't think- no, Walden's obsessed with him being undefeated for his life. I'm the head of the fan club. He's never lost a Diamond League 200 meters, and don't think he will this weekend either. We're ge- the fan club 
Get your membership dues in. We're guaranteeing a victory this week. Guaranteed. But you guys, does anyone think it's interesting that Semenya wouldn't try to run the 1500 this week? Nah, I mean, she didn't run that many 15. She, even when she was allowed to compete uh, without restrictions, she didn't run, and she is allowed to run the 1500 right now. But even when she was allowed to compete, she only ran the 1500 sparingly on the Diamond League circuit because she can just clean up in the 800. So I, I don't find it surprising she wouldn't run this. And one thing is interesting, John pointed this out. I bet 95% of our viewers, listeners do not realize this. In case you're not aware, Semenya is now back in. She's allowed to compete without reducing her testosterone because some Swiss Supreme Court put a stay on the IWF things. They have not ruled in favor of Semenya. It's just like a temporary thing. It's only through like June 30th, right? Or So the IWF has until June 25th to respond to this stay for, from the Swiss Federal Tribunal. But the problem is... Even if the IAWF responds, then once they respond, they'll they're going to respond against it. They're going to argue against it. And then they're going to probably set some tape for another trial, which is going to push back. This is that it's just going to keep things suspended. But Semenya, this is the only one affected by the suspension right now. That's what I was going to point out. Ninety-five percent of viewers don't realize this. John points out this only applies to Semenya. Semenya has left her friends, Francine Asaba and Margaret Wembley. They're not included in the court case. Therefore, they are left. Shit out of luck. So that's what I was saying, folks. If you have high access to high press lawyers, you can do all right. But honestly, I, I've said all along, I feel most bad for Margaret Wambui in this whole thing. She has said, like, she's the only breadwinner in her family. She's not, I, I bet her, I would be shocked if her endorsement contracts are like one fifth the size of Semenya's, being an Olympic champion. Semenya's a little bit more personable. There's more media in South Africa, it's a little richer country. So, I don't know. If Semenya's in, I say let them all in temporarily. I, I would I would agree with that. I think it's only fair. But I also think there is, it's right. inherently unfair can, for Semenya to be – Can we shut Deadspin down? Is there any way we can get this website shut down? I mean, I thought they lost like a lawsuit for something and Docker was shut down. It's a shame they didn't shut Deadspin down with it. Why do you want to shut Deadspin down, Robert? Because they just keep writing ridiculous headlines about like – Semenya and CC Telfer. And they're like, the only time people pay attention to division two sports is when white conservatives want to keep black women down. To be honest, I think that's a fair point. Most look, I don't think they're lumping us in that category because we also, we don't cover D two sports that much, but we cover it as much as, you know, most we cover it more than the average publication, certainly running. If someone does something notable at the level, we'll cover it. But yeah, someone like Breitbart, they're never going to cover D2 sports anyway. I think it's... This is the headline. CC's Telfer's national title emphasizes the catch-22 of being a trans athlete. And the gist of the article is like no, that people only talk about it when you win. Well, yeah. But the reason also, the only reason why we pay attention to D2 is it's not about D2. It's about what could happen, right. particularly if there's no rules. And again, folks, it's been another week. The NCA has still not gotten back to me to confirm what we know is all true. There is no testosterone limit for a transgender person. So as long as you have a doctor's note, you're good. There's no verification that we've proved. There could be, it's possible there's some sort of verification. I don't know that there's no, but I, I sent them a simple email statement saying, please say this statement is not true or not. And they refused to get back to me. So classic by the NCA. 
in terms of Deadspin, I mean, this article up now, uh, one, it quotes you, Robert, your article on CC Telfer and sort of gives you some credit because it doesn't mention me by name, but it praises your article because you point out how her coach says she's working much harder now. And that's one reason why she could be better. But I just don't like the concept. The writer is Lauren Thiessen. And I just don't like the concept that essentially anyone you disagree with automatically is a bigot or whatever. Um, Essentially, like, I mean, there's just lines throughout it all along. Like, here's one. Given those strong but not unprecedented results, and keeping in mind this is Division Two, there's no good faith argument to be made that Telfer is, quote, breaking her sport or, quote, dominating her competition. But the fun thing about being a trans woman is that nobody's trying to oppress you is actually acting in good faith. They're just trying to recapture some of that go- old God-hates-fags fag- magic. Predictably, after Telfer took home that title, uninformed losers from the dumbest and most racist corners of the internet pushed and shoved to be the first to strip her win of its legitimacy. I'm sure there's some people who did that, but a lot of people did in good faith discuss this issue. And you can make an argument that she's dominating the competition. She's the NCAA champion. That's very good. She's at the top of her division. And some people are fine. Like, okay, she's whatever. Some person country. just finishes one spot lower. What's the harm in that? But other people believe in that there's an argument to be made for protecting women's sports. And the good thing is Deadspin now, Robert sort of joked about wanting to shut them down. And like, they have a history of back in the day, a lot of misogyny and stuff like that. I'm sure people say, Oh, you, you know, you guys, let's run or one to be talking, but now they, they pretend to be the, like the arbiters of like what's woke. And they just love to call out everyone else. And just the fact that this author automatically assumes everyone who, disagrees with her is you know part of the god hates fads magic it's just so condescending it's like not what we need right now in america i mean there's a lot of social problems in america but like it's actually the best time ever to be transgender i would say ever in america to be gay in america to be a minority in america or if not like give me a time that is not that there aren't a lot of problems that need to be solved but like we need to get to the point this is the best time ever to be one of these oppressed people in America. It doesn't mean there's full equality or where we need to be, but like, let's just keep some perspective here and also have facts and have some respect for people who disagree with you. Right. And that's been my big thing with the Semenya thing. I've seen, I complained about this on the podcast before, so I won't go into too much detail, but you're allowed to have an opinion on the Semenya case. And the opinion can be that you don't think she should be allowed to compete. I've spoken to people that I respect who hold that opinion. I've spoken to people who I respect or I've read from people I respect who don't hold that opinion. I think it's fair to hold an opinion and to have an informed debate about something without someone just making an ad hominem attack or calling you a racist or sexist or misogynist. I just think that's not what society should be. You should be able to have a sensible debate about an issue that's very complicated. Well, I don't think it's that complicated in the case of Telfer, but it may be Semenya. I mean, but whatever. One of the one of the commenters did, did slam back at Deadspin. Deadspin is no better than the crazy white wing Facebook posters they complain about in covering this issue like it's settled science. It's not even that close to that. But even that poster thinks it's like a nuanced debate. It's not nuanced. Men have huge advantages over women in sports. So just because you transition or in the process of transition doesn't mean that advantage goes away. I mean, here's a question for you, John. Do you know of a single other trans athlete in the entire NCA? I don't know of any. So we're one for one in national titles? 
I mean, think about how many thousands of athletes there are. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist. You can't just say the fact that I don't know about them. If they're not relevant, I wouldn't have reason to know them. I, look, I, I agree with your position. CC Telfa shouldn't be competing. Related to that, in some ways, the intersex issue and trans, obviously they're different, but they're somewhat related. The IWF, I thought, had a very good statement in their response to the injunction being put in by the Swiss court. Essentially, they said, look, you know, the Semenya's party just filed this on the end. We haven't had time to respond. But the, I feel like the IWF is doing a good job of just putting out their bullet points and talking points. And they have these in bold in their article. The IWF is committed to the full participation of women in the sport of athletics. The IWF fully respects each individual's personal dignity. So those are just big points. You know. And then it says, however, the IWF is convinced there are some context, sports being one of them, where biology has to trump identity. The IWF also believes the right to participate in sport does not translate to a right to self-identify into a competition category or an event. So I think that's very fair. Like, like in the t- taste, I mean, Castor Semenya is a more complicated issue. And, but CC Telfer, biologically, she's a man. And if we want to decide, I think most of us are, are in agreement with this, but some would say, like, no, an elite sport shouldn't be allowed. That if she wants to suppress her testosterone to a level that is more common with women, and that's being, you know, verified that she should be allowed to compete. Some people are like, Lindsay has her rules. Clearly, she's following them. She should be allowed to compete. But I want to create a fair competition for women. And I don't want someone just to win a sport because they pick what category they're in. And we have women's sports for a reason. And that's to kind of prevent to, to have a, a fair level playing field. Otherwise, there's no need for women's sports. Why don't we just have one category of sports and, you know, bye-bye Serena Williams, bye-bye all these great women's athletes. We, we, we would never hear of these people. Renee Richards is one of the first people ever to transition in the seventies. When we were kids transition played professional women's tennis. She now says it's a joke and it shouldn't be allowed. So I wish Caitlin Jenner would get involved in this. I mean, we, we need to have some sanity here, but shall we move on gentlemen? Music is accountable. There's some eight hundreds that Robert wants to talk about here. Dwayne Solomon you may remember him, fourth place, 2012 Olympic team, 142, second fastest American ever, over 800 meters. He's now 34 years old. He's attempting a comeback. He ran 155, dead lost in his heat. What do we make of this gentleman? Well, I don't think anyone will be mad about you, John, for making fun of him. Yet when I say that Sammy Watson, who was the world junior champion in 2016, the NCAA champion last year as a freshman from Texas A&M has gone pro early and now can't break 205. Well, she did run 203, but she only ran 205 last weekend. When I point out that she, after she runs 205, I said, Hey, I said, when she went pro, this was a mistake that any shoe company signs her. When I point that out, several people in let's run are like, why are you being negative? My job isn't to be a cheerleader folks. It's to be accurate. It's to promote the sport of running accurately or to, to, to report on the sport of running accurately and to make things entertaining. When you make a bold prediction and it's right, it's entertaining. So sorry to say I told you so. My hot take on this is, I don't know, I, I, if he's running, I assume he's making a comeback. John, I said off air, and I, I may be slightly joking, I think his odds of the Olympics next year are higher than Sammy Watson's. Yeah, I just disagree with that fundamental. I mean, she won NCAAs last year. Like, she was the world junior champion in 2016. 
Dwayne Solomon, when was the last time he was relevant in the 800 meters? And he's he's going to be 35 next year. 35-year-old men, unless you're a freak of nature like Johnny Gray, 35-year-old men are not making the U.S. Olympic team at 800 meters. I just don't see it. So Watson, I think she's got a chance to rebound. But, yeah, here's the thing about Sammy Watson. Like, I wasn't a fan of her going pro either. Oh, I was. I knew she wasn't running well anymore, so why not take the money to get yeah, it? I guess if you want to just grab the money and, yeah, I get it. I, I guess I wasn't thinking she was going to be super successful. But my here's the thing. She turned pro. We never got any explanation, really, as why did she turn pro in the middle of the indoor season of her sophomore year? When you turn pro with no good explanation like that, when you haven't been you know, off a string of subpar results, that's worrying to me. What's worrying to me is when any teenage woman doesn't improve. If you have one year... It- I mean, one reason she may have gone is her coach, Aline Francique, who recruited her, was no longer at Texas A&M. She wasn't running that well this year, and she just kind of starts wondering, like, hey, what else, are there other options? And I'm sure when she decided to go to college from high school, a couple of agents probably reached out to her and said, hey, if you ever want to go pro, contact me. And she probably just said, you know, hey, you can still get some money. Um, go pro now. And she probably said, sure, I'll, I'll jump at it. Yeah, well, Adidas has proven that they're willing to take chances on – high school runners turning pro out of high school because you see Josh Hoey did it. Drew Hunter did it. Who? Josh Hoey. He was the high, he set the high school indoor 800 meter record. He was committed to Oregon and he turned pro. He's class of 2018, but they've had some, they've had Noah Lyles, Josh Hoey. I don't even know that name. What is he doing now? He's training with Terrence Mahone mission athletics club out in San Diego, but They've had big successes. Noah Lyles, huge success. That was a risk. People forget that. I mean, he was fourth at the Olympic trials, so maybe not as degree, same degree of risk as some of these other guys. But to give him a big, big contract, sprinters didn't do that coming out of college. So that was a risk that paid off. Drew Hunter, that's working out pretty nicely. But Sammy Watson, Josh Hoey, we'll see how those end up. It's too. Uh, I think it's too early to render any sort of verdict on Josh Hoey. He ran one forty-seven indoors in high school and now he's running professionally, but this is his first season. He's like 19 years old, 18 years old. I mean, I'm not going to judge anything based on one pro season. It's sort of interesting with him, right? Because I don't know, he's not Drew Hunter. He didn't have the name. I mean, there's no, like, as Robert said, who, like there's no buzz when he really goes pro Um, Hunter. You're sort of, I feel like getting some return on investment, but I guess either way, it doesn't really work out unless these guys become at least national class. Sammy Watson, yeah, what, how can we write her off? I mean, she, as you said, John, she was national champ a year ago, really good, what, two or three years ago? So does that talent go away? I guess it depends on you. Know, it depends on what they have to pay her. If they signed her out of high school, I'm sure they've had to pay her a lot more than if they signed her this January. So Apparently she turned down huge money coming out of high school. What concerned me about Sammy was the 400 speed, 52.69 in 2015. And then last year she was running fifty four seventy seven. I heard this year she was splitting fifty five. Like, th- there's not a lot of training involved in the four hundred speed. But how often? How what? How big is the sample size on these, Robert? Like, how often is she running the four hundred? You're comparing her best time ever in high school versus like like two up races that she doesn't care. Yeah, I don't know. She's running the four by four regularly. I think for Texas A and M. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not a good sign, but yeah, I, no, I'm not going to totally write her off, but I also think turning pro is a decision. 
questionable decision and so far doesn't seem to be paying off, but we'll, we'll see. Okay. I think we're over an hour. We're going to call it, call this a day pretty soon. I'm not sure if we have free hokas to hand out, um, for our threads of the week or deleted threads of the week, but, um, we still have the Bill Simmons podcast excerpt coming out where he talks about the guy that doesn't want to be referred to as white lightning. The guy that we're now we're going to refer to as the blonde bomber, Matthew Bowling. So Weldon, it's all you take it over the podcast, please. <laughs> I, also, I also, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if we should be calling him the blonde bomber. If he didn't like white lightning, he's <laughs> probably not going to like that either. I don't know if that was just, that could just be a joke though. It's kind of amusing to me. The blonde bomber. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of that, Robert has decided that we can't call him white lightning because his dad and his, a Washington Post, Post profile on them. And in there they said, look, we don't like the term white lightning. And I guess today's age, someone doesn't like a term. You shouldn't call them that. So I guess we have to go with it. Who knows? He may not like Blonde Bomber, but that's what people in Let's Run have come up with. Let's just call him Matt. Matt or Matthew. That's fine. I mean, look, I'm not going to call someone that's something they don't want to be called. So I don't really care. He's fast. How about we call him that? I want to interview his tw- identical twin brother who is the valedictorian of the high school class. He's more accomplished in academics. And, well, I was going to say that's like me. He said Weldon had better grades and was faster. But is he an athlete at all, like the fraternal brother? Like, what should be worse? Like, maybe better just to be really studious and not be in the church team at all. Like, what would you rather be, John? The high school, would you rather be the valedictorian of the high school or would you rather be the 9-9 guy? 9-9? Come on, man. How many 9-9 guys are walking around on this earth? Okay, John, would you rather... What did you rather be? The 9-9? It's not 9-9. What's his win legal time? 10-1? 10-13. Still really good. Would you rather be the 10-13 guy, but I give you an IQ of 85? Or the valedictorian of the straight judge, which is a pretty good high school, by the way, John. How low is an IQ of 85? I can't put that into context. I wouldn't want to be stupid. I mean, I'll say that, but um, I don't know if 85 is stupid or not. I would really like to run 10-1-3. That would be great. Well, 70 to 79, John, is borderline mental disability. 80 to 89 is considered low average. That's a tough question then. I don't know. I, I would definitely want to be the valedictorian. I would not want to have an 85 IQ the rest of my life. What if you could run sub 10 in the 100, though? Well, I know, but 10-1-3 is no guarantee of that. It's it's a as good a start as you're going to get in high school. You better make several million dollars because... You could. You hire an agent. They do the thinking for you. But... I, you know what, Robert? I like being me. I don't know what my IQ is, but I like the way I turned out. I like the way my life turned out. So, uh, don't need to play the hypothetical game. And, John, in case you're wondering, I mean, John, excuse me, visitors, listeners, women listeners. Jesus Christ, this shit again. I will be staying at my parents' place in Austin. I have John. John is indoors. We talked about how John had the supreme location directly across the tra- street from the track. I've got him yet another sweet location down in Austin, folks. He's on 6th Street, Welton. That's where all the bars are. It's a very happening place, very trendy hotel. He has co-ed bathrooms, so I thought that would help get him out. He doesn't have his own bathroom in this hotel. He's got a sweet pool, though. It's like what? a new hotel. Yeah, no, they have like, it's like a door. They want to, it's not like a hostel. It's like high-end hostel. It's like two or $300 a night if you get your own bathroom. Without your own bathroom, it's like 150 I think. Okay. Enough about John's dating. Bill Simmons, 
formerly of what ESPN, HBO, now with a ringer. Um, on his podcast, him and Chuck Klosterman. Chuck Klosterman. I'm not as familiar with Chuck Klosterman, John. Give us the Chuck Klosterman overview. Writes a lot of pop culture books, former music journalist, smart guy, really good writer. I, I like I like Chuck. I don't know him personally, but I like his writing. So Chuck's on the podcast, and for, for I did not listen to the whole podcast. I'm not sure if this like came up earlier, but they decided to talk about Matthew Bowling. You guys have definitely not heard this. Let's just play this. Double double, which hang in there, and like, it's like I want to see what his hang about are. Is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you want to talk about Matthew Bowling? This. Uh, the sprinter who's breaking records left and right, and and there's a wrinkle. And what's the wrinkle, Chuck? Yeah, well, okay. So this kid is like the high school kid in Texas, and I I don't I don't know any other way to sort of describe this. It's like he appears to be the fastest white American ever. Uh, it just it doesn't seem to be any question about that. And I'm really nervous about what's going to happen as his star ascends. Like I can see so many terrible things happening as he continues to succeed. Like I can see him going to the Olympic trial next year and like taking fifth and Trump thanks him on Twitter or something. I I totally can see that. Or, or, or the fact that he was already on like a, after he kind of dominated the Texas state meet, like he was on like high noon or something. And it's just this undercurrent of every discussion about him. Also like I, he's very young. I don't know that much about him, but, he doesn't seem lacking of confidence. <laughs> right. like he, seems, he seems very aware that he is a fast fucking guy. Yeah. Guys cannot run with him, you know? So it's not like in Evo or something where every time he succeeds, he's like, oh, praise God or whatever. It doesn't seem like that's how it's going to be. And it seems as though this could be a real powder keg of division in sports. And I'm almost like want society to make a pledge now to like not talk about the fact that this basket is white, uh, even though I'm kind of doing it now and probably doing the fire that I worry about. But it seems as though like he, if he becomes the fastest man in the world, which I think is, well, not likely completely plausible. He is going to be very famous uh, when the Olympics happen. Maybe not the next Olympics, but the ones four years down the line. He's really probably going to be close to his peak at that point, really will be peaking. Um, Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how this could be dangerous? This this is absurd. First of all, the the Olympic champion in 100 meters is going to be famous, really. Uh, He's always famous, no matter who it is. Like Usain Bolt, that's how he became a megastar. He was like the fastest fucking guy in the world. But here's the other thing, like uh, Chuck Klosterman, he may not follow track and field, so he might not understand this. We've had fast white guys in the past in this sport. Like the reigning world champion in the 200 meters is Ramel Guliev. He was born in Azerbaijan. He represents Turkey. I don't think the world stopped because Ramel Guliev won the 200. Granted, he's from Turkey, so he's not going to be a U.S. megastar. But Jeremy Warner won the Olympic 400 in 2004. I don't think the world stopped then. Like, Look, he's going to be white. I don't think the, there's going to be a fucking apocalypse because suddenly we have a good white sprinter. I thought you said this guy was smart, John. Dangerous? That, that is embarrassing. How is it dangerous? Like, if anything, these guys are probably pretty liberal. You think you'd be the opposite of dangerous because what he would be doing is defying genetic stereotypes. What the liberals are most concerned about is sort of the, any correlation between genetics and you know sports performance. 
this race is better at this, this race is better at that. We don't want to have that. So how would this be dangerous? I think it would be uplifting to say, hey, you know, just because you're X and this that group doesn't normally do Y doesn't mean that you can't do it. So I think it's the opposite of dangerous. And these guys just Trump's going to tweet it out and it's going to be a big deal if he gets fit. What? Like J- Trump didn't tweet about Jenna Prandini winning the U.S. title in 2015. Like, I just don't think like people see, oh, this white kid in high school, it's weird. Like, it's going to be normal in sp- track and field for sure. If he becomes a star, it will be normalized pretty quickly. They'll just accept, okay, he's white and he's really fast. And the rest of the world, I don't know, maybe if you're immature and you can't handle this, it's unlikely that, you know, we, we've had black guys play in the NHL. Has that been a big deal? Like people don't make a big deal about that. It's uncommon. Yes, but it's not, I don't think the world's going to end because we have a fast white guy in the hundred. Yeah. I agree with Robert. I see it as more uplifting. Maybe Klosterman's got a bit of, I don't know, Trump derangement syndrome or something. I mean, I know Trump said a lot of controversial little stuff after Charlottesville and it's pretty just horrible and people think he's racist. So like, we don't even need to get in that discussion, but just to assume that if the president of the United States liked what some hundred meter runner did, that like the clan's going to kind of break out. I mean, that's sort of the underlying, I think. So there's a whole political thing on top of on, underneath this, which I don't agree with at all. But if, I don't know, some, I think if anyone can defy a stereotype in society and sports, it makes us think like, let's evaluate the people as individuals, right? There's a reason that sort of racist ideology is, keeps getting diminished and diminished and diminished, I would say with every generation. And that's because the more educated, the more worldly we get, we sort of realize the world's full of individuals, not races of people. And sure, people are different and that sort of stuff. But like, let's try to treat everyone individually and with, with respect. So if he can defy a stereotype for sports, then other people can d- defy other types of stereotypes. Yeah, because I, I do think that the stereotypes are sort of self-limiting. So I think it's the opposite of dangerous. I think it's a refreshing story. I mean, Robert, you always are, are, are kind of buy into like, oh, the Kenyans are better at running than the American guys. And I'm like, well, if, if you believe that, you're already limiting yourself. So there may be some advantages people have. But like with Kenya, is it because they're dirt poor and grew up at altitude? It's probably, it has very little to do with race, challenge and culture, that sort of stuff. Yeah, but just because I think there's probably there can be a correlation between these things. I mean, I had to delete a, a despicable thread yesterday, but one thing I was thinking about was like, okay, let's say most poor people aren't as smart as rich people. So what? What are you going to do about it? It doesn't mean they deserve to be poor. We're just going to let them be poor. So if a certain group isn't good at sprinting, it doesn't mean that we're going to just not let them try to sprint. I mean, there's outliers and everything. So we need to get above this. We need to come together. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if we're worried, like, the big concern with Matthew Bowling is that he might become good and Trump treats him congratulations and society's going to fall apart. Like, I don't know. I feel like we just live in this period of fear. People sort of, I don't know, we're like searching for controversy. Let's let it happen first before we get all apocalyptic about it. Okay, Walden, are we handing out any shoes for Threads of the Week or Deleted Threads of the Week, or are we calling it a day? Because I've got to get up early to catch my flight. Okay. What you guys want? Deleted Threads of the Week or Top Threads of the Week? Deleted Threads of the Week. Hit us. Okay, I've not looked at these. Wow. The top – this is number one. I swear to – this is not made up, people. John has just dropped his first F-bomb on the, on the podcast. 
And the first deleted thread, deleted just minutes ago, John Galt will never get a legit journalism job after working here as long as he has. Oh, I need to read this thread. So he has one poster. Robert, I, I did not delete it. Did you delete it? I didn't delete it. Why did you delete it? I like that thread. Are they arguing that I don't have a legit journalism job now? Thank you, John. Thank you. You cover the Olympics at a very young age. You go to every world championships. I would argue that you're the one of the most prominent track journalists in the world and establishing your identity. The thread just says he needs to get out now. And also sort of, I think this thing, there's so much negativity and just in general in society, but also on the forum forums and people want to associate everything that's like racist or controversial or whatever said on the forums with the site and that we condone everything that's said. These are forums. And I would, I would argue that let's run sure there's some negative stuff and what have you. But now everyone lives in their little cocoon, and especially when it comes to politics. But you got like, I don't know, Daily Coast and Breitbart or what have you. And people go to sort of MSNBC or Fox for their news. And the sort of old mainstream view of CNN sort of kind of where people went there, CBS or ABC for news, and they were sort of viewed as right down the middle. I think that's some of that's disappearing. But... So the people are in their silos, and but there's just hateful comments. Read the comments on the Washington Post article. They can be ridiculous over the top, Facebook over the top. But I would argue that there's very few places where people can sort of have a discussion from different political viewpoints, different viewpoints, whatever. And that's one of the reasons actually I like some of the discussion on Let's Run, because in theory it's a running website, but then you have conservative people – you have liberal people, you have them discuss, you know, various things. Like, I know Eric, my web guy, we had a huge, had a huge talk with him today. Eric politically thinks way more liberal than me. And like, we'll just discuss any issue in the book. You know, I remember Eric four years ago was telling me how about Bernie Sanders. And I was like, what? Like, there's no one, no way he was going to take this seriously. And Eric moved to Iowa and he's like, yeah, watch, this guy's going to make headwinds. And he was like, just dead on right. So I think all in all in today's society, like let's run. I'm not asking for some sort of award, but like, I think that there's like interesting discussions of controversial to- topics, which is a good thing. We need more of that in society. And sure, you can read stuff from whatever viewpoint you are that's maybe offensive to everyone, but maybe just offensive to your own viewpoint. But we need to get to a point in society where you can read something you don't disagree with and you can have a civil discussion about it or maybe a heated discussion, but you still respect the other side. So, John, you need to get out. Yeah, well, wait until July 1st. Jonathan Gold, free agency special. See if Flowtrack's going to splash that $47 million they just got in venture capital funding. I'm kidding. I love you guys with Let's Run. I, you know, staying. Thank you. I'm so happy. This is my sixth NCAAs. I get to do this for a living. I pinch myself every day. It's awesome. Thank you, John. Well, then reduce the salary by 20%. I'm driving down my value by saying I enjoy my job. This is a problem. Um, there's threads about Baltimore. Robert, would you like to comment about that? I think that's a controversial thread you were talking about. The thread was the thread to turn it when I the thread had a despicable title. I tried to delete the to edit the title and then I didn't go back to the thread. And then there was like six pages. And I eventually, when I became aware of it, I deleted it because it needed to be deleted. The people were, were making broad generalizations, but What's happening in this town is is kind of scary. I mean, I'm proud to live in the city. I purposely didn't move out of the county. I want my taxes to try to make a change here. I'm proud of Baltimore. But when Chris Lear was visiting a few weeks ago with his kids, he stayed right downtown, right on the Inner Harbor. 
And I told him, I said, do not go one block north. My wife who works down there said, tell him not to go one block north of where he is. And there was a huge sort of riot uh, two weekends ago, right where he was. You can see his hotel in the background. So innocent bystanders were attacked on a bike. A woman almost lost her eye. Well, actually, the eye was the night before, so that wasn't the exact same thing. People were running on top of cars, kicking pedestrians in the face, and then getting fist bumps for people from doing it. I mean, this is unacceptable. People are like, oh, you know, it's racial in nature. And it, 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 white people don't want, or people don't want black people in the white part of town. That's not what this is about. It's about people don't want crime, particularly in, in the, the biggest tourist part of town. You, you you can't have that. And this is a true story that I'll tell. Um, I, I made friends with an Ethiopian journalist who obviously is black. Well, I shouldn't say obviously, but what, 99.9% of the people in Ethiopia are black. And um, he won the green card and he came to live in America. And you have to have a place to stay in America. So my dad was happy to host him in Washington, D.C. He lived with my parents for about nine months. And he was very proud when he got enough money to get a car because you know, not many people in Ethiopia have a car. And he needed to come to Baltimore. He drove the back roads. He didn't want to go 95. He came in the back roads, which takes you right through the ghetto. And when he found out I lived here, he gave me a call. He said, I can't believe you live there. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've never been that scared in my life. He said, I thought people were going to pull me out of the car and beat the crap out of me. This is just driving in. I said, why? He said, well, people were just standing in the middle of the street in the middle of the day, like giving me glares. So this isn't a race issue. It's a law. It's, it's a safety issue. We need to get over that period. I do think that a lot of these people causing these problems are teenagers that don't have anything to do. When I was a teenager, I said, if I was born in the ghetto, I'd probably be dead right now. You do a lot of stupid things, men particularly, when they're 16, 17, 18 years old. So we need to find things, opportunities for them to do, but letting them start fights. A lot of the fights were with themselves. People say, oh, they're bored. So they would just punch a pick up a random kid out in the street and just punch him. And then he would run away and then people would run in the streets. And it, it was scary. It really was. And it's unfortunate. And um, we've got a new police chief. We've got a new mayor. So hopefully we can get things turned around. So anyways, but I, I, very, very, I very much vehemently opposed some idea that people thought I was condoning the negative crap that was gone in that thread. I tried to delete the title. I edited the title to get the offensive word out of it. And then I deleted the thread when I came back to it a couple hours later. So I, I, I don't know. A lot of people are commenting that thread. They don't have any idea what's going on. So it's just better that it's not on the message board. So goodbye. Okay. Top threads of the week. Some of these kind of overlap with last week. Because we did the podcast, I think, what, last Friday? We're now, what, Tuesday? There was some interesting stuff. Um, Ryan Hall running the 2558 5K. That was started on Friday, so that's still number one. But the Wisconsin 1600 female state meat runner refuses DQ, has to get pulled off track. Did you guys see that? No, what happened? She tripped on the starting line. When you click on this thread, you'll see it. She sort of stumbles on the starting line, they DQ'd her, and she refuses to go off the track. And then, a co- like a it looks like an adult male then comes on and tries to physically pull her off the track, grab her off the track. People are manhandling her and eventually lock this thread because people were objecting to his behavior and then saying, comparing it to rape, which was just totally unjustified. Even if you disagree with his behavior, like 
we don't need to trivialize what a rape is. But I think it shows one thing, and I think a lot of people are in agreement. At the IWF level, they would restart that. And at the NCAA regionals, someone got DQ'd as well for this. Long distance races, somebody stumbles over the line, just call them back. Let's, let's implement the IWF rules and not disqualify some male or female for this instance or just anyone. You have a rule that if you fall in the first, like, 50 meters of a distance race or if you're caught up in a fall? She falls started before the race. I fall started. I, I fall started my, like, one and only high school track race. It's a two-mile in Houston. I think it actually might have been a straight Jesuit, which is the high school where the blonde bomber goes to. And they were going to throw me out, and, and the, the head coach said, I don't worry about him. He ain't going to do anything anyways. So there you had it. They let me go. I got lapped in the two miles. So What if Kipchoge de- full starts the Olympic marathon? Are they going to throw him out of the race? Well, I, I don't know. That's the thing. I, I, I think you should probably just do what they did indoors. Wayne Kalani definitely false start indoors. It was a blatant false start. They didn't. They just said, oh, if you read the rule books, there's actually – Someone pointed out, like, not a book. There's, an, there's, an, you can put them back in. In high school, it's not as clear, so it's not as well, well written. So, I, I think you should probably just call them back and put them back in. You know, assuming people aren't just starting to game the system. But it was an unfortunate situation. I don't know what the solution was. I mean, the girl wouldn't leave the track. She was trying to run up there and run with everybody else. So, the guy kind of grabbed her. So it did look awkward, but what is he supposed to do? Just let her run behind everybody else? Yeah, I think once the race has started, let them run. Just say, hey, we DQ'd you. You're DQ'd. That result doesn't count. I mean, I think, you know, some of this shows the difference in, like, gender. Because I think if a male coach, like, grabbed a male athlete and took him off the track, no, there wouldn't be as much of a problem with it. Uh, Oh, by the way, something just came into my brain. Can I make one last point about this CeCe Telfer and – situation it, it it hit me last week like these people that deny that men are stronger than women and better at sports than women at the elite level are probably the same people look at the way we treat domestic violence in this country we treat it way more seriously than we do regular violence like if you hit some if a dude hits another dude it's not a big deal and you, nothing ever happens if you hit a woman people want you basically barred from society like the nfl players are like you should never play in this league again if you hit a woman and it's treated much differently than a regular assault. And why? It's because people view the man has power over the woman. Physically, she can't defend herself to the same extent. I actually think, it, 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 I mean, it amazes me how, like, to what degree that is treated like that. It's way bigger. You know, most crimes, people are like, well, we got to forgive. And if, if you did something a long time ago, you know, everyone deserves a second chance. Domestic violence are like no second chances. Ray Rice never touches the NFL, never sets foot in the NFL ever again. You're done for life. You know, and it's just interesting to me. I would like to, to email the author of the Deadspin article to see how she views domestic violence. That, that's a good point. I think most people, though, and also in, uh, the people who write about this might be the people who are most outraged. I would say actually most people, when you sit down and explain them to them, they get it. They want to protect women's sports, and most people understand basic biology. No, not all men, obviously not all men are better athletes than women, but the average man is a better athlete than the average woman. I mean, stronger, faster, that sort of stuff, the average. And at the top of sport, which a lot of people dedicate lives to reaching, that's definitely the case as well. So, you know, a roundabout way to make that point, Robert, which is interesting. We're not going to have a thread of the week, winner of the Carbon Hope X Shoes. 
But I think we should end on a positive note. And this thread was started by us. But Justin Grunewald reports that he thought Gabe Grunewald was dying yesterday before miraculous recovery. And it's great news. And I think pretty much everyone can agree this is great news. But Gabe Grunewald, the great distance runner who's been battling cancer for years now, she's still with us. I mean, when you read, I think I'll just read this post and kind of somehow in case people have been off the planet for the last few days, but it just makes you appreciate just how precious life is. I'm just going to read a post from her husband, um, Justin Grunewald, as he says, read the whole post. And he posted this, um, I believe, what, Sunday night? And he said, yesterday was the worst day of my life. I woke up next to my wife to a group of alarm nurses rushing us to the ICU. Her morning labs had come back and, quote, they did not look good. Gabe Grunel seemed a little confused, but otherwise, fine. Upon arriving to the ICU, I reviewed her labs with her team of interns and a critical care doctor and immediately ran out of the hospital crying. For medical professionals, then he says what her lactate levels were. She was relatively... Oh, he says, those values are incompatible with life. She was relatively unaware and at peace. I made the hardest decision of my life with her family and brother to move her to comfort care. I actually got the opportunity to say goodbye to her alone and inform her she was dying. At that time, she did not seem to be comprehending much. Shortly after I told her she was dying, she took a deep breath and yelled, Not today. We went to bed shortly after I felt for a radio post all night on her arm with her mother, and I think it's her sister sleeping on her other side. At around 8 a.m., when the critical care doctor came in the room, Gabe woke me up because she wanted to order breakfast. After stopping cares, most of her lab, labs had normalized on their own, and she is now eating a Shake Shack burger out of the ICU. Talking to all my doctors, they have never seen another patient survive similar circumstance. It can only be explained as divine intervention or miracle. Today was the best day of my life. Thank you so much for your prayers. Also, again, thanks to the best friend group in the world for literally getting in here from multiple states within 12 hours and to my brother for making the fastest trip ever from Cayman to Minnesota. And then he has hashtag brave like Gabe, running on hope, not today. I mean, if that doesn't give you goosebumps and make you appreciate life and, I don't know, appreciate having a shake shake with your family, like, I don't know, nothing can. I mean, Gabe throughout this whole thing has inspired millions of people. And now in this state, she's still inspiring millions of people. So my thoughts and prayers are with both them. I share the same opinion. And just to see how grateful Justin is to have just in another single day with his wife, their, their love is special. And, you know, we're all rooting for, for Gabe to improve and uh, continue being an inspiration to everyone. Amazing stuff. I, uh, not being a doctor, the pH value that was listed was 6.9. I've done a little research on it. I mean, you're supposed to be in a coma at 6.9 and definitely dead at 6.8. So it's crazy. All right, guys. Have fun at NCAs. Robert, tell mom hello. I will be down there actually next weekend for their 50th wedding anniversary. So I'm not coming this weekend, but I'm jealous. Sexist. Why don't I tell dad hello as well? Oh, good point. The sexism just never stops on let's run.com. It's just ingrained. It's it, it's in my blood. I, I guess I guess my daddy taught me that. Well no, you're being nicer you're being nicer to your mother. You're being sexist against your father. 
this is the good type of sexism where you are nicer to the woman than the man. Chivalry's not dead in Texas, John. Chivalry's not dead. You want to hold the door for a woman and a man, but just, John, just be a little more polite down there. Say hello to strangers, that sort of thing. Drop my name if you need, if you get in any trouble, just drop my name. I'm a legend down there at UT from those ninth or 10th place finishes of the 10K at the, what was it? Was it even the big 12s back then, I don't think? Big eights? No, S- SWC? What, what conference was it back then? They're in the Big 12. Big 12 existed, was founded in like 96. Oh, yeah, it might have been the first year of the Big 12. All right, till next week, everybody. Signing off. Let's run.com.